Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, host of The Big Picture. Did you just see the latest tentpole blockbuster? Or a surprisingly fun new movie on a streaming service? Or maybe you just want to bone up on the greatest films ever made? From reviews to rankings, career retrospectives to movie drafts, and everything in between, The Big Picture is here for you. Listen to The Big Picture for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, we're taping this Friday morning. Mm. The NBA is basically exploding. Porzingis traded yesterday. This morning, Kyrie made it seem like he just doesn't know what he's going to do starting July. And now everybody thinks KD and Kyrie are coming to the Knicks. Randomly, just today, Spike Lee in the house. First time we've ever done a podcast. And this is like suddenly the best day in Knicks history. Well, well, thank you for having me. And I don't think that it's random I'm here today. You think (laughs) the spirits work in a mysterious way? It really does. I'm, I'm 61. And I've noticed that very rare things that's random or coincidence. Things, spirits, ancestors, all types of stuff are in play. And I've had this podcast for 12 years. I've been waiting for you. Now, all of a sudden, today is the day you show up. That's not a coincidence. I don't think it is. It's not random. Glad to be here, my man. <laughs> Glad to be here as cool, well. Cool, cool, And you're wearing your Yankee hat. And you're, wearing your, and you're wearing your Patriot. <laughs> well, who's your football team? New York Football Giants. Okay. But growing up in Brooklyn, here's my four guys in Brooklyn. Okay. Mays, Ali, Walt Clyde Frazier, and Joe Willie Namath. Oh, wow. Namath. <laughs> were you, when you, in fourth grade, we had a teacher named Miss Erba. Blonde hair, full breast. And her claim to fame was she went out to date with Joe Namath. Yo, wow. And, we loved her. <laughs> and I asked Joe, name is, if I asked name, the first time I said, Joe, do you remember this woman? We had a teacher. She said she went out to you. So name is Joe Willie says, so Spike, what'd she look like? I said, well, she was blonde. So you got to give me more than that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, she's got a buxom and blonde. I said, Spike. <laughs> we would die laughing. <laughs> so you wrote a basketball book before I did. Well, and it was I'm all about you. how you grew up in, in MSG. In Brooklyn, yeah. 
And I was at game eight. I mean, excuse me, I was at game seven. Yeah, I May eighth. Game eight would have been amazing. No, no. I'm May eighth. Yeah. You went. I was there. The Willis Reed game. Greatest moment in Knicks history. You know what? Until today. Well, no, we had we won another championship. But you know what's amazing about Cause, that? Because Havacek got hurt. Will you stop? <laughs> who, who are we going yeah. at? <laughs> Come on. That was that was a game. Havacek gave you that championship. He's playing left-handed in game seven. And I guess Buckner gave the Mets one, too. Huh? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I guess Tim Wakefield gave us one, too. Well, we go back and forth all day, baby. I'm ready. I'm I know ready all day stuff. for this. I know. I'm not one of these okie dog Rudy Poop people. <laughs> guess you got. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, the Lakers. Yeah. Will Chamberlain. Jerry West. Elgin Baylor. Layup line. The biggest roar I ever heard in my life. The entire Laker team stopped, froze, turned around. The whole team, three Hall of Famers, the whole team stopped their layup line to see Willis Reed drag his leg on the court and Knicks won a championship. Then he hit the first two baskets. And Walt Frazier had 36 points. I think like, well, Frazier was amazing in that game. What was the loudest roar? The, when he walked out or the two the no, two no, shots? No, when he came out. I, I mean, I've been a lot of sporting events. Yeah. But when Willis came on, came on court, and I have a prized possession, the great Nick MSG photographer, George Kalinske. Yeah. I have the only photograph of Willis Reed getting the needle. Oh, I heard it was like a, wasn't like a two-foot needle? They, they had horse needles back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, the, I had the only print signed by Kalinske and Willis Reed. The needle's this big. Yeah. And he's on the trainer's table. I mean, and this is like 1970 when May they 8th. didn't know smart ways to do this. They basically uh, they, got yeah. veterinarian equipment to try I mean, to knock somebody's leg I mean, out. Even today, though, football, how many fingers... Yeah, they all have one finger. How many yeah. fingers? What? Oh, go out there. Right. I mean, this per, per concussion stuff, that's that's new. So I was saying, we did a podcast yesterday after Porzingis got traded, and I was saying that I felt like the Knicks fans had replaced Red Sox fans since we won. Where, and well, here's why. It wasn't. So you, how, you many more, years, how many years You have one for 46 years, but we hadn't won for 86. But the point the point no, We being, got for the Cubs that too, though. But the Cubs won. I said, but until yeah, that one's 1908, right? But here's the thing, you have you have these generations of Knicks fans, right? Mm-hmm. The Knicks start in 1946. <laughs> like my friend William Goldman, the screenwriter who was going to those games all the time, he just died. Yeah, late 40, great 45 great years mm-hmm. of his life. At the end, there he doesn't get to see it. But you have all these generations. I think that's what makes it different. You have Knicks fans ranging from age two to age 90 that mm-hmm. have been kind of living and dying with this. Well, there's always hope. Now and, you have it. And now, if we get, you know, what's, what's messed up, now they changed the rule. Yeah. So now it's the three worst teams get 14% chance. And they had to do that because Philly, they were tanking every year. years. So if we get blessed by the the basketball gods from above and uh, we get uh, Zion. It's over. Have you seen it's, Zion in person? No. The game they played at the Garden, I was out of town. But is this going to be like the, the Garden's going to be rocking if we get 
We have, again, let me knock on, this is a nice table here. You can knock, this is wood. Yeah. But is this red, is this Boston wood? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might be the reverse jinx. We probably, but, uh, well, we brought it from South Boston, but it's weird. Oh, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> tapping on that. <laughs> so you think it's, this is set up here. This is a dope bean double cross having me tapping on South Boston wood. <laughs> not going for it. <laughs> Unfortunately, we got it in LA. I wish we had brought it in Boston. But uh, Durant? Yeah. Kyrie? Zion? Without Den- Dennis Smith Jr. Would you just stop making movies? What would happen? <laughs> you retire at age sixty-one. You're done. Nah, I got another twenty. But uh, you get another twenty. Kurosawa was in his eighties. Clint so, Eastwood's so like Clint- eighty-four. Who? Clint Eastwood's like eighty-four, right? Well, I'd rather quote Kurosawa. Okay, fair. <laughs> and Fellini. <laughs> no disrespect to Clint, but that was a little. No, not at all, because. In film school, I saw Rashomon, yeah. and that was the gave me an ideal for my first film. She's right. gonna have it, so I that's remember. why. No disrespect to Clint, but and I got to meet uh, Akira. So, but uh, this is uh, is. Well, can you ask what your reaction was to Porzingis hearing about? I was that shocked. Trade? Were you so, upset? I don't know because I was doing interviews yesterday, so. I turn my phone off. I turn it on. Oh, no. It almost exploded in my head. <laughs> that's, a, that's a WTF. What happened? What happened? Yeah. So didn't you hear? Were you a believer in Porzingis? Until he got hurt. Because he had that 10-game stretch at the start of last year when it looked like he was going to be like a 30-12 and 12 guy. And, and then and, it tailed and, off and a little then bit. He, he tailed, look, I, I was not that kid who was crying or, or saying at the draft. Yeah. I like this game. And here's the thing, though. In today's sports world, the players have so much control. And if you have a guy that doesn't want to be there, then you got to get what you can for him. That's yeah. just that's just the way it is. To have a guy on a team that doesn't want to be there and the whole team sees that, it's... It's not a good mix. My reaction when the trade, we did a podcast right after, and I was like, this is terrible, classic Knicks. But then the only thing in their benefit is I heard what you just said, I've heard over and over again from people connected to them. And I was like, he didn't want to be there. He was going to leave. Plus, we got two first-round picks, too, which we I The second imagine. one was that. But at, at the very least, you can throw that those picks into another trade to get yeah. something else. So they have more options than they've had. The problem is to give up on a 23-year-old guy on a rookie deal who has the potential to be a franchise guy. That's but pretty then, rough. But, but you have to look at that injury, though. Right. And the fa- and his height. The fact that there's 7'3 and yeah, up guys. Yeah, some really... guys 6'4", but to be 7'3 and have that injury? Yeah. Yeah, out of the tall, tall, tall guys, Kareem was the only one who seemed to just be able to be durable. You can't leave out Wilt, though. Well, But Wilt got hurt that one year. Remember? He, he, hurt his, he blew out his kneecap that one year. He missed the whole year. But he came back. He though. came back. Yeah. But yeah, it's, but just hard. Was it's hard to get like, through. Built was built like, you know. Did you see Wilt when he was, like, at what point nah, did you see him in person? Later on. Later on. I mean, the from my first memories of going to Nick game, my father was the 68 team before they made the, the, the Busher trade. So. That team was good. 
I mean, we had the pieces, but it was when the Busher came, that's when it really came together. Late great. You know, he pitched, he pitched for the Tigers. I know. No, the, the White Sox are Tigers. No, he pitched for the Tigers. Yeah. The Busher. And let's talk about this. What do you think your theory is? Yeah. When the late great Dave the Busher put his hand into the thing for the draft, was an envelope? Was an envelope in the microwave or it come out of the freezer? No, it was, it was Stern. Stern put it in there. I'm saying, but when he was picking, so you I've, no, I've, no, the busher, his, the the people were picked. They put the hand in the thing, the envelope. It wasn't let, David Stern. No, Stern was the one who picked him out in a row. Stern was the one. That the thing was a little that bent makes it this, worse though. It was a little bent on the if side. The commission was done. I thought it was no, it was stern, but it was a little bent on the side. I freeze framed it because technology is better. It did look like he picked the one that the <laughs> one of the sides was. So Dave, I thought it was just a busher. So, so stern was in on him. So, if he did pull it <laughs> off, it's the greatest magician trick of all time. If they had frozen the one envelope and he just like, I heard it, it was in. hot or cold. Just you just feel the hot one, feel the cold. Either yeah. one is like that's Patrick Ewing. Who uh who's also. The next day, I got my season tickets for the Knicks. 84. The very next day. Oh, that was 85. Year Whatever. after Bernard. Whatever. Patrick Ewan. Yeah, spring 85. I got. I was, I went, I was online 6 a.m. the next morning, got my season tickets. Were you Bernard guy or no? Bernard's from my neighborhood. Okay. Bernard Fort, was incredible that yeah, year. Bernard's from my neighborhood, Fort Greene. There's a hospital in my neighborhood, Fort Greene, Brooklyn, where Bernard was born there. Albert, Mike Tyson, and Michael Jordan. The same, it's called Cumberland Hospital. It's amazing. They were, and Little Anthony, Little Anthony Imperials, <laughs> and Dana Dane, all born in the hospital in my neighborhood in the People's Republic of Brooklyn, New York. Bernard, <laughs> Bernard went <laughs> Bernard went head-to-head against the 84 Celtics. Oh, he can't. And, they, and Maxwell said he's not getting 40. Cobra, he said, that like bitch didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> and he gave it again. And he gave it, did it again. It was amazing. So every time the Celtics come to the garden, because he does the radio. Yeah. I always look at Cornbread. And he says, don't come over here. Because he knows I'm going to bring up Bernard King. <laughs> you used your movies to attack Larry Bird. I didn't appreciate it. No, here's the thing, though. I didn't appreciate it at all. But here's the thing, though. You said he was ugly. No, no. You put John it, Savage in a Bird t-shirt and had him run over somebody's sneakers. I saw what you were well, doing. This, those weren't sneakers. Those were Jordan 4s. Yeah, exactly. No, this, this is real. Here's the thing. I have always admired Larry Bird. I've never said as he, you were disparaging him. No, no. Here's, yeah, let me use your characters the, to the, disparage who's him. Who's the ghost? I mean, who's the guest on this? <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing, though. I've never, ever, ever. Larry Bird's a Hall of Famer, great player. My comments about Larry Bird were not directed to him. It was directed to the white media pushed him into position of being the savior, which he didn't want. He right. didn't ask for that. I agree with that. And so I met Larry recently. Really? We, yeah. We had a great talk. Did he we, know about the movie? Yes, he, man. The first time the movie came out, I was sitting courtside and Danny A was looking right at him and Danny A was sitting right next to him. Danny A was pointing at me and saying, yeah, that's the guy right there. So you guys, Danny A's, that's true. But here's the thing. I had the utmost respect for Larry Bird. Larry Bird, all he wanted to do was play ball. It's true. He had the unfortunate situation where 
because he was so great and he was white and he was Boston, he was put in the position of being the savior. I remember, if you watch back in NBA, CBS Sports, I'm not going to name announcers. Larry Bird was at the Boston Garden at 6 a.m. this morning, and he put up 20,000 right. shots. Kareem didn't work. Well, and Magic, Jabbar, too. Magic put I in mean, more work in his game I than know, anybody. but that's not, that was not the narrative. Yeah, it was always Bird running in the garden around the laps. So I get it. my stuff was not meant to be at, and Larry, we, look, in fact, when I saw, when I met Larry last week, I brought up the whole thing, that famous picture, him choking. Oh, him and, him and Dr. Dr. J. Yeah. I went to that game. So I'll tell you what a gentleman Larry is. He, he said, well, he plant everything, downplay everything. Then I spoke to Barkley and he told me what the real story was. Yeah. But that shows you how great a gentleman Larry, he didn't want to get into that. Well, he loves he, Dr. J. He but, loves Dr. J. Yeah. So he wouldn't, he, he said, Spike, you know, we just had a, it, those things happen. You know what happened, though? Because I, I went know, to that yeah. game. He was busting his ass. I know. And he started talking shit to him, and Julius <laughs> didn't like it. I know. Yeah. So I had the utmost respect for Larry. Great player. One of the greatest of all time. So we're cool. He used to be great in MSG. He used to love playing there. He used to oh, have great everybody games. Everybody, if, if yeah. you, if you, all the real players would come. To, I mean, come to if you come in the garden, machine. you're not going out the night before, right? <laughs> That's one night <laughs> after the game, maybe. Especially the team has to stay another two. But you come in the garden, you're going to bed nine o'clock, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> you might put other stuff for another city, but the, the New York. It's this, it's this, that's a, you know, the world's greatest arena. And, and the other day, James Harden, he said, 61. You know what? Yeah. What did he say before the game? I've never had a garden, a garden moment. Yeah. But luckily he, uh, one point sh- short of time, Mello's record. And Mello be, oh, amazing story. I did this film documentary called Kobe Doing Work. Yeah. So we did the thing. But for the but for the DVD release, we we wanted to have a what do you call those things? Commentaries. Commentary. Thank yeah. you. So the only time he could do it when the Lakers came to the Garden. So we were scheduled to do the commentary after the game, and that's when we scored sixty points. Oh my God! Seriously, at the commentary, after the game, he scored sixty. Broke the garden, garden. They broke the garden. He's a spike. This all your fucking fault. <laughs> I'm blaming this shit on you. I knew we were doing a commentary. I said I was gonna break a record. And well, then, you went to the Carmelo game, right? I was there. He he left some on the table. He oh. came out with like four or five minutes left. He could have gone for seventy. Well, it always drives me crazy. I saw Camilo the other day, and I said, "Do you know about the reason?" Yeah, people hit me up. Yeah, Camilo. <laughs> he could have gone for at least sixty-eight. Give me your, uh, give me your top five because you uh, did uh, this in your book. Uh, players? Yeah, your top that five I saw right now. Or teams or players? Players, because you did this in your book, but you wrote your book twenty, twenty what, twenty years ago? Yeah, fifteen years ago. I know there's this. Debate, current debate about who's the greatest of all time. I don't want to do that because I, I think it's air specific. But I have to, I I have to mention that knowing that this, this debate's come about since what 
LeBron said. Yep. And I don't know, you know, you bring a team back down 3-1, I don't know how to make it the greatest player of all. So for me, players I saw, MJ, born in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> he grew up in North Carolina. <laughs> Michael Jordan. Okay. Kobe. Kobe, too. Okay. Three. LeBron. You say it sadly. No, I got respect for LeBron. Even after he didn't come to play for you in 2010? That, he has to, look, my thing is this. Do his best for you. Is it true you made a video to for the recruiting video for 2010? No, I was one of, there a whole bunch of people did it. So but, you did? Yeah. That thing was, was not well thought out. It was... Because uh, LeBron and Wade were going there, and then they changed their minds. It did not go it, well. It, it, something messed up. Yeah, something happened. It, some, one day, the real story, when LeBron retires, then he'll tell what happened with the Knicks. I I've think. been saying the real story, from what I know, What's for that? a while, and nobody actually believes me. That LeBron it? and Wade were going there, and then it got screwed up. We'll find out the real story in like yeah, 10 Yeah, once, years. I mean, this is Wade's last year. Yeah. The truth always comes out eventually. All right, so LeBron three. So you got Jordan, Kobe. Magic. Le Magic four. Kareem? Kareem. Bird six man? Look, it's, you always get in trouble when you list, you know, any list. So, but Bird, Bird, look, I got love for, and the thing about that I heard is that the brothers love Larry Bird. So that yeah. whole thing. So he was, he was cool with everybody. Yeah. He was cool with everybody. And he, and, he, and he could talk smack. He could talk smack. So it's unfortunate that in my part, I was trying to use Larry Bird to make a point on the media how they hoisted him up. And then, well, you can't forget, you had the whole Boston Celtic, L.A. Laker dynamic. And you look at the history of Boston and African-Americans is, and look what, I mean, read Bill Russell's book. Yeah. I mean, the Red Sox, the last team, Pumpsy Green, the last, so they ain't changing your Yorkie way for, for a reason behind that. So that's a complicated history with African-Americans and, and Boston. Oh, no doubt. It's gotten a lot better. They got a, they got a Puerto Rican manager. I went to see Russell in t at the end of 2012 because uh -huh. we did this documentary yep. about him for NBA TV. Right. And the whole premise was like, why don't you ever go back to Boston? Mm -hmm. Trying to figure out what happened. Right. And the stuff they he went through in the house 60 and on his bed. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, they were like 9,000 people going to playoff games in uh, and they're selling out hockey. So, I mean, he had real reasons. They weren't selling out those games in the Celtics? Hell no. I they didn't start selling out to the 70s. So even with the our back teams, they weren't selling out? No. Bob Cousy? No. Tommy Heinsohn? No. None of them guys, they weren't selling out. Part of it might have been basketball just but wasn't what about as popular. The finals weren't sold out or the regular season? The finals had to be sold out. I don't know. I don't think it was great. The the Knicks thing. Um, what Knicks thing? Well, just the fact that you've been terrible this whole century, basically, except for like a nine-month span. Like, a, At what point do you look at this big picture and go, why is God doing this to me? Well, what did Red Sox fans say? What did Cub fans <laughs> say? <laughs> you guys got their purse.
What was the cruelest moment of the last 20 years for you? Well, those, I would tell you that those Pacer Knicks series. So you're going into the 90s. Yes. <laughs> That's how far I have to go back. But when, when Reggie, look, I also like to say, me and Reggie are cool. So yeah. When these things happened 20 years ago, you know, all's good, all love, all good. When Reggie went off that game five, I woke up the next day. Because every morning I go to Corner Bodega, get the papers, get my coffee. Bagel cream cheese cut down the middle. <laughs> The bodega. <laughs> and so I go I go to papers. I'm on, I'm on the front page, New York Newsday, New York Post, and New York Daily News. I'm on the front page. And game six is Marcus Square Arena. I'm like, no, I mean, I got to go. But You were courtside. I know, but I'm saying, though, it was a, a minute, though, that I want to— Go. So I land in Indianapolis and there's like five TV crews there. And so I didn't go straight to markets. I went to visit Mike Tyson in prison. So all the inmates, they were getting on us. Nick sucks, Nick sucks, you know, that stuff. Wow, you're getting heckled by Indianapolis inmates. Yes. That's, that's rough. It's a true story. So game six. Ended, you know, closing minutes, and the ushers start to surround the court where they have a rope to stop fans from storming the field. And thank God, John Starks went berserk. We won. Because if Nixon lost game six, I'd have had to move. Right. I'd have had to move. <laughs> I don't know how it's going, but it would have been that serious. You, we did the 30 and then, for 30. And then, and then uh, we, Patrick hit the shot. Yeah, yeah. Put the, at the, we oh. did the 30 for 30 on this. You said you were actually in fear a little bit. Oh, Indianapolis? Yeah. The Klan was founded in Indianapolis. Yeah. No, they were, they were, me and my guy, Al Palagone, they were, we had, and then, what's the owner, David Simon? Yeah. His son is a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, so, Herb, Herb I, Simon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So, I'm trying to say we need security. Yeah. And they're looking at him. Yeah, he's like, he came here. So, it was, I could I could gotten hurt. And then, that was game three. So, then they had to call the NBA office. Then they assigned someone to me from the league. Yeah. But, uh. I mean, if you saw you saw third and thirty, you know, you know the pennants. Yeah, they would turn the pennants upside down, so it was a hood clan. It's in the it's in the piece. I remember. So I don't think that would go over well in the internet era. Well, they would be sending they would be sending those pictures out pretty fast. Well, um, well they got those faces. <laughs> but anyway, that was Patrick and Patrick's. Jumped on the stores, famous picture, jumping yeah. on the scores table. So we went to Houston 
Yeah, up 3-2, going into game six. Here's a story. My man, you know, Al Palagonia. Yeah. So Al says, Spike, I got a scheme. So he was tight with Vernon Maxwell. So he had he had Vernon Maxwell up all he had Vernon Maxwell up to eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, that was smart. Didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't matter. We understand. He does it all he did it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh It's like Iverson. Some guys just didn't sleep. Oh yeah. And then You know, there's always going to be a talk. Um, and I love Starks, who's my, one of my favorite players. And what is he, three for 21? Somewhere. Something like that in game seven. But game six, like, they had a chance to win in the last minute. And that's that was my fundamental problem but with that team, The thing, I think, the Patrick was open and somebody. Uh, yeah. But who's the guy to guard? He was great with the Dallas Mavericks. Derek Harper. No, the other one. Oh, Orlando. Yeah. Orlando, I don't want to get my brother in trouble, but he would go to his grave thinking that he would hit some shots. Right. But he didn't. Wasn't that the fundamental problem with that team, though? That in in a must-win game in the road, the second kind of creator slash scorer in that team was kind of John Starks, which I know, he's but just a, too hit or miss. I know, but uh, John, I love you, baby. So no disrespect. But is I I don't put that's not John John Stars can't put himself in a game right he's gonna that, do that that's that's on Pat Riley right we were born the same day March twentieth so Pat you gotta give me some slack for this my brother Rolando Rolando you thought he should have gotten some he more would run. tell you that himself yeah what about did Charles Smith get fouled is it the Bulls yeah. Four four block steals in like two seconds. He has to try to dunk the first one. Agreed. He was six eleven. He was going up like he was a guard. Yeah. See, I think that was the worst <laughs> Knicks loss. That was we the were worst up two one. Two zip, right? Two zip. They win the next two. You got game five, but you also have seven at home, and you basically you win that game. Bulls probably win six, but then you got seven in MSG. You know, it's been all. Even if Charles, I look, we're talking about something that happened how many years ago? 25, 26. Even if Charles Smith had made that basket, Michael Jordan would have found a way to win. That's the part everyone forgets about that game. He still would have had like eight seconds left. We've seen it before. The man's ability to put his, in, in, to put his, Will, he would have found nowhere in the world was Michael Jordan going to lose the finals. Yeah. That's how I feel. It's not going to happen. So, of course, Charles Smith should have made the layup, but MJ, the black cat, <laughs> black Jesus. <laughs> I thought Earl Monroe was the black Jesus. What? I thought Earl Monroe was black Jesus. Wasn't that his yeah, actual nickname? Yeah, that was the first, but they had it, you know. He passed along? Passed along. Yeah. But, and so that's why, that's why when you get into the the whole LeBron, how many finals has LeBron lost? A lot. He's also had some ignominious exits. 
Jordan's Jordan really only had one bad one, and when he came back from baseball and Orlando beat them, that was the only time he's kind of. Didn't it, didn't what's his name steal the ball from him or something like that? Nick Anderson Nick did, Anderson. yeah. But he missed some free throws, all right. The in the finals, in the yeah. finals. I'm still. I wrote my book ten years ago, and it was like, look, Jordan's the best player ever. I'm not having this argument again. It's over. And now LeBron. LeBron bought it back. Well, because he's because of the longevity. I think that's what's changed. He's having this Kareem type. He's going to have a 20-year career where he basically has not gotten hurt is, and has been incredibly hurt successful. This, how, how long was he out for the groin injury? He just came back. I know. It last was his night, first real injury. Yeah, 17 games. Here's the thing that I like to say, which a lot of, not you, but because you knew more than me, but if you add up all LeBron's playoff games. It's like it's like two more seasons. That's two more seasons. It's, it might be three, actually. We, we got to do the math, but. Well, I looked it up. He's, he's had. He's played additional, at least two more seasons. He's because he's going to the last. He's going to the finals every year. Whether he wins or loses, he's going to the finals. He's at fifty-five thousand minutes if you add the NBA, the regular season, and the playoffs. But he, as you know, the playoff minutes are like they count like a minute and a half. So it's so intense. Look, so the, I don't know how long guys, he's going to do it. Look, I got number love of LeBron, and we have to pick sides because I don't think they like each other now. I think there's some beef between MJ and LeBron. I think there's some when, beef. When has MJ ever said anything bad about anybody? I didn't say, say anything publicly. All, I don't what? think MJ likes the goat stuff. When you're the goat, you don't like goat conversations. But all Michael said, he's, I mean, he said this recently. I've never, ever said I'm the greatest because I never played against the great players of other eras. He's against that stuff. You think it's a coincidence that he has a 10-hour documentary coming out now celebrating his life, right, as this LeBron no, goat thing not, hits up? No, it's not. No, it's a great move by they've him. They've been working. That thing's been on the shelf for years. You looked at it for a while. I well, remember they when, decided to go another direction. No, I remember <laughs> when I was at ESPN, I remember we were trying to, we had that they legendary. Went, all I can say is they went another direction. You had it, though. You I looked never, at it. I remember. My brother. I, mean, I don't know. I was there. <laughs> they went. I the, wanted you to do it. They they went another direction. Yeah. Um, greatest five New York City point guards ever. Well, I'm not gonna put them in order, but no, no, you don't tiny, have to put them in order. Tiny Archibald. Okay. Oh, give me the Mount Rushmore. Give me a Mount. What, give me four. Mark, Mark Jackson. Charlie Scott was from Harlem. Oh, see, Charlie Scott's like he's the, one of the lost guys. I know. Charlie Scott averaged like 35 a game in the NBA one year. Lenny Wilkins, Boys Girls High School. So you just listed four. How many did you say? How about most talented? Is Steph in the most talented four? Oh, oh how can fit my brother? Hey, just Abraham Lincoln, a rail splitter. Same school as Jesus Shuttlesworth. I was how much of he got game was Steph Marbury? Like stuff you witnessed. If, and, if you asked, if Steph was right here, he would say that there's about his about him, that's not true. But uh, the similarities because it's point guard and, and you know, it's Brooklyn and it's Coney Island, but the, the whole father-son thing and all that other stuff. But uh, definitely, but you know who might make it too? Who? He's going to be a freshman next year. Uh-oh. Cole Anthony. Oh, I saw highlights of this guy. Greg He's lightning Anthony. fast. The, the, the son of Crystal and Greg Anthony. Oh, he's Greg Anthony's son? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. What school is he going to? He's at Oak Hill now. That's where I saw it. And they have some other kid on that team who's supposedly amazing too. Yeah. 
The internet has a way of getting these kids into the public eye now. This guy, the son of Crystal and Greg Anthony, he's he's going, I'm not, I can't say where he's going, but he's coming to the league. Greg Anthony, respectable performance in that one fight when he was in street clothes, but still got involved. (laughs) Remember that one? Oh, you know what killed us? That was a good one. What killed us? That that series against Miami. The fight. Where the, that was a good the, team. the guys came off the... At the end, end of the game, why did Charlie Ward do that? The game's over. This is two times, because the 2007 Suns, that was the other team when that kind of changed the course of history. Then the next game, we had like eight players. The, they, they suspended yeah, the whole team. It was terrible. When did you feel like when you were sitting courtside... The guys on the other team were not only aware of you, but felt like they had to interact with you in some way as like a rite of passage. Well, I wouldn't say interact. Here's the thing. The whole thing with, with Reggie Miller blew it out of proportion because. I'm not well, even saying like I'm, talking I'm, I'm shit. Just, no, no. I'm saying like even pay before, respects. They always get lineups, you know, the uh, the pregame lineup or at uh, or halftime usually come by. You know, so that was happening in the 90s? Like before Reggie? Yeah, do the right thing. Came out eighty nine. Malcolm so it X started came there. out. It really started. She, I mean, I wasn't sitting. I wasn't sitting courtside. Yeah, when did you get courtside? I moved down every year. <laughs> they moved me down, so I couldn't afford courtside. Yeah. In fact, they weren't selling those seats. They gave out the celebrities. Then they got smart. We could sell these tickets. Right. I can't remember the year, but when I started sitting courtside, I mean, I would always, the players would, you know, where my seats is, as they come around on, on uh, the label line, they, it's, it's right there, you know, in front of my seat. So I've always been, you know, the thing with Reggie Miller, that put it out of, out of uh, I say nothing to Michael Jordan. Well, that would have been stupid. You can't talk oh, to really him. Oh, really? You can't you know, talk to He would give Jordan. me a wink or a wave button when he's on the court, man. He's not like, like hey, yeah. you doing? Hey, you doing? Mm-mm, it's all business. Let me tell you this story. I never said this before. Oh, I'm, I love those words. When I was in an early year when the Celtics were real good. That's every year. But when it, Mikhail, that team. Yeah. Though Paris, those guys. You know, I, look, I, look, people, the whole Boston, New York thing is, is complicated. But anyway. <laughs> before the back then, the garden, they would let people... Even they weren't in your seats, they will let you stand behind the basket and watch the late line. And I was like, Mikhail was looking at me, and I was looking at him. I said, Kevin Mikhail, you suck. And he looked at me. He didn't say nothing, and I felt so stupid. I never said it before. And 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 then just being courtside and the abuse. The athletes have to take the yeah. It's amazing that, and I say I say this being, you know, guilty of that. Right. And the way he looked at me, I said, I can't, I can't never, and, and everything's I've been very- So you reined it in. I, I how, I mean, the abuse, it's amazing the athletes don't choke motherfuckers left and right. That the artist melee hasn't happened nine like, times. Oh, yes. It's, it's the abuse app, and because- it, it, it's, it's really, really horrible. I remember it's game, horrible. game six, 86 finals, Houston, Boston, the day after the Samson fight. And Samson came into the garden. We were like ready for him. We had Samson is a sissy signs. I was holding one. And he came in and, and the anger 
it took him out. He was done. He had like eight points. Yeah, well, he was done. Like he could feel, you could feel the energy. As, as you know, everybody's not built for it. Some right. people, yeah, people, athletes, that they'll, they'll use that, you know, to get them fired up. You know, other right. people like, they shrink. Um, I had Denzel on the podcast about six months ago. Yeah. And I asked Denzel? him. Yeah. Well, you're not going to believe this, but he's very excited to talk about, I had heard a he got game story. So I'll get your version of it. Uh-huh. That he was supposed to lose the game 10 yes, nothing, yes. and he rope a dope Ray Allen. <laughs> what is your version of the story? Well, first, I'd like to say, we're talking about Denzel. Denzel played junior varsity at Fordham. Yeah. Oh, he's he's proud and, to and, talk and, about and it. PJ Charisma was his coach. Yeah. So, in the scripted version, the father son battle and the he got game. The way I wrote it is that Jesus Shoulder is supposed to be his father. Jake, 12 zip. Now, Ray is never, this is his first film. So Ray is like, we got to do what the script is exactly. Denzel did not tell me, but I knew that no way in the world was Denzel not going to try to score a basket. (laughs) (laughs) Because Denzel still considered himself a baller. Yeah. So we start filming and Denzel's just throwing up some lucky shit. It's just humble. It's humble. I mean, he's banking shit in. I mean, it's like crazy. And you're just filming the whole time. You oh, want I'm them to go. Play. Yeah, yeah. So after I think like there was six something. Ray said, "Look, he's instead of saying uh, cut, he's saying timeout. <laughs> he's making a timeout sign like the referee. Timeout. Timeout." <laughs> And the great Susan Batson, who's one of the most phenomenal acting coaches, she's screaming at him, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Denzel's laughing. <laughs> and Ray comes to me and says, Spike, the script says I'm supposed to win 12 nothing." <laughs> and, and he looks at me. I'm like, I go like this. What do you want me to do? <laughs> what do you want me to do? So... For Denzel, it was a moral victory. Yes, seriously. Because he has scored, I think, five or six baskets. He scored four. Four. So he said he told Ray beforehand, he's like, yeah, I've never been able to go left, but then went left. <laughs> I, like he, that's he something I was seed. not privy yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was trying to pull some Jedi mind trick but on so him. So it's, and Denzel's very proud of his performance in the film because he scored those backers on who's gonna he's a hall of famer i gotta say that's one of my favorite sports movie scenes ever because i know because denzel starts talking shit to him <laughs> and like real life comes into the scene and ray oh. allen you can see him like being like oh, oh ray getting mad ray knew that this film's gonna be seen and he knew that <laughs> his fellow players were getting on his ass <laughs> like i know he played malcolm x but you let that guy score it's <laughs> gotta be like the greatest Secretly, the greatest achievement of Denzel's career put up four points on Ray Allen, who that, was that was some lucky stuff though. But it went in. <laughs> he was banking, and he didn't even do release. Ray Allen. So he because he's a novice. His first film, he didn't think he had the you know the get up on Den the D and Denzel's competitive, you know. So you want to look like a punk out there? So he's gonna try to. And also, it was a better, it was better than I wrote. I agree. It was better than I wrote because you, the father has to 
The son has to win in the end. But you got to see the father score some baskets. There's got to be some father son. I'm still I'm still your dad kind of. Exactly. I agree with that. Exactly. You ruined Hoosiers for me. Why is that? That oh. was like my favorite sports movie ever. And then I read your book about it and you pointed out Christmas at high school. You pointed out how how uh how racist it was at the end where the Hoosiers team is playing the black the all black team with the coach who has the four point lead who's just becomes a moron at the end of the movie. But you know uh, Oscar Robinson on that team. Right. Well, he was on. He wasn't. There was the one team that he was went based to high on school. Though. He went yeah. to play on Christmas Addicts. It was like then, four was only, years later. There was one black. There's only one black high school. Was Christmas right. Addicts in Indianapolis. I think the Hoosiers team was like 1950, and then Oscar's team was mid 50s. But uh, Hollywood, but you, you torched Hollywood, that movie. Hollywood. Come on, you know how that goes. But you know, the, I know you're going to agree with me. The greatest documentary, Hoop Dreams. There's not. I mean. Basketball documentary. You think that is the greatest? Hoop Dreams? Oh, yeah. It's been often imitated ever since. Well, that's what happens when uh, you set the standard. You know, people try to imi- what about What about that 70 fish that say Pittsburgh? Where do you stand on that? It's funny. Fast Break? Bernard's Gabe, in Fast Break. It, what, Gabriel? Gabe Kaplan. Gary Kaplan. Kotler, Fast right? Good. Well... Welcome back, Kyler. Welcome back, yeah. It's fun to see those guys. <laughs> Mike Warren's in that. Harold Mark Sylvester. What was the one with Shaq? That was Blue Chips. Nick Nolte was a coach? Yeah. But Shaq and Penny Hardaway. It's it's hard to do. I mean, it's, boxing's the easiest sport, I think, to, rec- to recreate in, 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 in the narrative film. But yeah. Basketball, it, it, it just looks football- what about North Dallas 40? I The 70s movies still hold up for me. Mm-hmm. I think North Dallas 40 still holds up. And Bad News Bears, that was good. Bad News Bears, and Bad News Bears 2 was pretty good, too. Um, Slapshot still holds up. Longest Yard, I think, whoa, still whoa. holds up. Let's let's Don't skip over Slapshot. Who's the star of it? Paul Newman. Paul Newman. Cool Hand Luke. Yeah. Cool Hand Luke. And Longest Yard still holds up. Oh, let me tell a story. So I'm getting ready to do 20th Hour. Yeah. Phenomenal movie, by the way. Thank you. And I want to put up... Uh, the Cool Hand Luke poster in Edward North's apartment. So I make the call, and they say, you got to call Paul Newman for permission. So I get his office number. I'd never met him before. He says, come on over, Spike. So I came to his office. We had a good talk. Gave me the blessing to use it. Then after the the film was done, I called him again, and he signed it for me. Really? And... What people forget about Paul Newman, Marlon Brando, uh, Peter Law, guys like that, they were marching with uh, Dr. King. They were writing big checks. They were pulled in by uh, Sidney Poitier, Belafonte. Those guys were very, very involved. A lot of people have let them out. They were really, really behind the movement, not just writing checks. They were marching, you know, with with, uh, King, so I, I want to bring it up. Paul Newman uh, and the stuff he's done with his uh, charities. Yeah. That's my man. Cool Luke. Bill Russell, you have a relationship with him? Not really. Because he was another one who was at, who was at the forefront of a lot of that Oh, stuff yeah, yeah, 60s. yeah. But, you know, Bill, if he don't know you, he looks like you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and my father-in-law and him are 
play golf together. So I had yeah. to tell him, George Lewis. He said, oh, then that was okay. But if he don't know you, you just go up, walk up to him. And that's, that's just, I'm not mad at him. That's just, that's the way he is. You know, when you got nominated for Black Klansman mm -hmm. and they said this is Spike's first nomination. Well, well, let's, I, we gotta be specific. No, I mean for, the, for directing. And picture. And picture. So I was like, that can't be true. It's I'm true. like, I've been here the whole time. It's true. And I follow this stuff, but I've had two websites that were sports and pop culture. So I was like, no, he got, and then I went through and it was like, oh. Screenplay for, uh, do the right thing. Well, 89, the, the, do the right thing. No, I know. But the, the, the not getting picture in 89 is one of the I biggest mean, Oscar travesties before, ever. Thank you very much. But before. I'm not saying that sucked you I up. Know, no, I've but you got to get nominated first to win. We only got two nominations. It was outrageous. Screenplay and Danielle lost out to Denzel for glory. And then I won, had I nominated for my documentary, Four Little Girls, about the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church. And so. So what, so what do you think happened 30 years later in 89? I'll tell you. Not exactly. getting nominated. Because as you've, I mean, you've gone on record talking about Driving Miss Daisy. Very good question. I think what has happened is that, um, specifically with the Academy, with April Rain starting Oscar So White, and then the then a president of the, of the Academy of Motion Picture Sciences, uh, Cheryl Boone Isaacs, they, with the, the link and Miss Isaacs, Cheryl Boone Isaacs, with the, which is probably hard. To, let me start again. Okay. What happened, I think, is that two things happened. With April Rain's Oscar So White, hashtag Oscar So White. Right. And Cheryl Boone Isaacs, who then was the president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Those two combined made the Board of Governors realize they had to open up the voting membership of the Academy. And not just have 78-year-old white people? Had to be open up. It's, it had it's to open up. A and radical so, idea. <laughs> and with this opening up of the membership, Moonlight, a whole lot of films, especially this year, the nomination would not have been there because this is more diversified. And the Academy looks more like the United States of America now. Right. Than it has in the past. That makes sense. 89, I mean, here, here's a perfect example. I would say that the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences in 1990, they boarded on the films the year before, they're much more much more comfortable with the, the character of Hulk, who's driving this Daisy, than yes. Mookie <laughs> bugging out. <laughs> and definitely Ray Raheem. <laughs> With that boombox blasting. Yeah. Fight the power. It's so funny how the Oscars work. We talk about it a lot. We've done a million podcasts on it. Mm. Get Out was a good example last year. Right. It was like 10 years from now, I know Get Out is going to be the memorable movie from that year. But for whatever reason in the moment, they vote for Shape of Water. It's like, I know how this is going to play out. 10 years from now, people will be like, oh, that was the year Get Out came out. Well, and it was so clear with your movie. I remember seeing your movie. I think it was in Cambridge. Yeah, and like playing for one thing, Cambridge, you're right, and kind of stumbling out of it. 
be like, what the fuck just happened? That was, that was amazing. And uh, John Savage was wearing Larry Bird jersey. And, well, he stepped up, and, he, and he stepped on bugging out. I was mad about the John Savage thing. I got over that. But it was just such a it was just such a movie that I'd just never seen before. And I think sometimes the Oscars doesn't know what to do with that. But here's you know? the thing though, is that which I've come to understand. That was not the first time it happened with the I mean, this happened before. Happens all the time. Rage and Bull did not win. What won? Ordinary people? How about Pacino didn't win for Godfather 2? Well, 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 here's, here's my, let's talk about this. Al Pacino won for Stent of a Woman. Right. In 93. Over, over Denzel's Malcolm X. Right. That was Pacino tough. did not win for Godfather 1, Godfather 2, Serpico. Well, that was like a makeup Dog Afternoon. Yeah. And, uh, and Justice for All. So you could say that Denzel's training day, training day, the ma- was a makeup call because, although he was awesome in training day, but he had to win for that one because they screwed up in ninety three. But look, look what Pacino, Godfather, Godfather two, Dog Day, Afternoon. Do you know in seventy four Serpico and Justice Roll, and you don't win. He lost in 74, and so did Nicholson in Chinatown. And they lost to Art Carney and Harry and Tonto. It's tough. How old was Art Carney? He was like 80. There you he was go. skipping to the, skipping to the. <laughs> Look, no This disrespect. is all working in your favor 15 years from now. You're, you're definitely going <laughs> to. Oh, wait you're a 76. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to wait it out. <laughs> well, they love the old 30 people. 30 years ain't long enough. <laughs> <laughs> but. Again, and I, 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 the other day I had a conversation with Marty about this. We don't do, that's not the reason why I make films. And the great stuff is going to be seen, a, a new generation. No one, I'm saying this respectfully, but no one is watching Driving This Daisy now. I would say 20 years ago, either. Do the Right Thing is in the Library of Congress. Well, do the right thing. Also, this decade, yeah, it and took on a new meaning, context, yeah, everything with, with the Errol Gardner, yeah, chill cold. And this year is going to be the thirtieth anniversary of the film. I know that's why I brought it up. Well, look, you know a lot, <laughs> even though you're a Red, a Red Sox fan, <laughs> a Patriot fan. Let me ask you a question. I mean, Radio Raheem gets choked to death by a cop in right. that movie. That was thirty years ago. Well, it's based upon something happened, like six things, right? Yeah. The thing about do the right thing was where we we had the forecast on gentrification. We're talking about and do the right thing, which I wrote the script in '88. We had we forecast gentrification, global warming, and a whole bunch of stuff. We have people talking about that that's that's prevalent today. Police violence, police brutality, yeah, police brutality, a whole bunch of stuff, and uh, it's a it's a blessing. Well, one of the great things about that movie, and I, I I never understand how people pull this off. I'm not saying this kiss your ass. There's like 13 distinct characters in that movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe even more. I don't know what the exact number is. Right. That you kind of feel like you know, and they're not even really in it that much. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that's, for me, the legacy of the movie is the way it's shifted over the 30 years right. with what's happening in culture. Mm-hmm. But also just like the characters, I just mm-hmm. hadn't really seen that. Do the Right Thing was Rosie Perez's first film. Yeah. Martin Lawrence's Martin first Lawrence film. Martin Lawrence is in it. 
Robin Harris first film. Uh, Jungle Fee was Halle Berry's first film. So we we and and I got to give credit to uh, Robbie Reed, who was my casting director. So a lot of these people, you know, I, that that she had known in L.A. So she was in L.A. So I got 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 to meet the talent out there. It's weird that you don't get mentioned. I think maybe just because you're you're so famous now, but the whole independent um, kind of thing that started happening late '80s through the '90s, and yeah, all these uh, people making money, Kevin Slur- Smith making Clerks, all that John stuff. Mish, but you uh, made that. Would you make it for like two hundred grand? She could have it. Yeah, two hundred seventy five thousand. <sighs> two so weeks. We shot six two six day weeks. July, two six day weeks. Yeah, Sunday you take off. July 1st, July 14th. Where'd you get the 175? We were doing crowdfunding because before there was crowdfunding. Really? I mean, there was no technology, but the principle of crowdfunding, you know, we were doing it. Phone calls. Did you know what number you had to get to or it was just like, as soon as I get enough, let's go. Whatever we got, we got to go with. That's that's what it was. One seventy five. I wonder what that is now. What would that be like? Two million now? One million? No. In eighty five. What's one seventy five and eighty five? I wonder what the equivalent is now. Well, we're talking year. We shot at eighty five. Yeah. So it's probably like one point five million now or something. You think so? I don't know. I don't know. Larry Bird made six hundred thousand in nineteen eighty five, and now LeBron makes thirty five million. I don't know. I don't know what money that's is what, anymore. That's, express, that's stupid money. <laughs> stupid money. So then, after do the right thing, I mean, you did Jungle Fever, but Jungle when did you, when did you start really eyeing Malcolm X? Was that always in the back of your head, or was that like well, once you had these opportunities, you well, thought about the, it? The the story is that. Uh, the great director, Norman Jewison, was attached to the film with Denzel. And it was announced, I made it publicly known that, you know, I would like to be considered for the for this role. And the, the producer, Marvin Wirth, great guy, uh, managed Lenny Bruce. And he always, you know, he's one of those guys who's seen everything. Yeah. He arranged a meeting where Norman Jewison and I sat down. And uh, Norman, I mean, Norman gracefully, he didn't have to do that. I always give credit to him because it was his film. His, he had a deal. Then that was playing Malcolm X and Norman Jewison was playing, excuse me, was directing the film. And he, it was his job. And he gracefully bowed out, which he didn't have to do. So I always give credit to uh, Norman for that. It's weird if a white guy directs that movie. I don't know. Well, that I wasn't, you know. I'm, I mean, I'm glad decision. you saw that. Yeah, it's his his decision, and uh, I thank him for that every time I can because he didn't have, he did not have to do that. You stumbled into something. Well, I you sh- I shouldn't say stumbled because it was intentional, but the way you marketed that movie with the X hats, mm-hmm. I remember in the moment thinking like, "This is fucking smart." <laughs> like it, it, well, felt, it thing, was though. like this viral advertising. Everybody, there was a six month stretch. Everybody wanted those hats, mm-hmm. and the movie I, hadn't come out yet. Very early on, I understood that I had to beat my own drum. Yeah. Coming from independent cinema, I was not going to have millions of dollars on TV ads, stuff like that. People forget. On June 30th, 1989, Dude Right Thing opened the same day as Tim Burton's Batman. 
Was that the a same mis- day. Was that a mistake? No, it's called uh, culture. Oh, it's called counter-programming? Yes. But nowhere in the world is universal, and then no, no should they have, spend the amount of money that Bob Daly and Terry Semmel going to spend on, on bat, I mean, that's Tim Burns' Batman. Prince did the score. Jack Nicholson. Well, there was some weird shit going on with, with Do the Right Thing that people were like, we're worried about. Oh, well, that's, it might yeah. be an incendiary movie. Well, there, like, there's that several. Was, David Denby. Down the New York, the New Yorker. Yeah, Jack I remember that. Cole. Not great. This, this, uh, uh, be careful. Be careful what happens in the theater yeah, when it, you see it, this it, movie. It, blood might be on Spike Lee's hands. This film can incite black people to riot all over the country. You know, crazy shit. Yeah, that stuff has not aged well. So you know, they they look stupid. Yeah. And this other guy, Joe something. What's his name? Joe Klein. Joe Klein. Yeah, I remember that. I saw that motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> on the cellar. We were going going from New York to. I didn't say nothing. I gave him a look though. You side at him. My head was turned both ways, like this, <laughs> like that. <laughs> he didn't say nothing, but he knew what that. And none of those guys ever said, "All right." Spike, I fucked up. They never have never sent you a letter. <laughs> Nothing. Mm. Um, yeah, it's like how you won't admit you fucked up when you blaspheme Larry Bird, the greatest <laughs> greatest forward of all time. Me and Larry Bird you should cool send him though. a letter. Me and Larry, it, there was no letter. Me, no reason for me to have a letter. We spoke like this, uh, and uh, well, I just say that. So yeah. I knew that I had to beat my own drum. Yep. And the person, I've never said this before. You got a lot of firsts. Yeah. The person I learned from was Madonna. Really? Oh, she was the master. The person that Spike Lee learned how to market me, my brand, my films, was from Madonna. She she was the first one who figured all this shit out. She had it. She changed her look every year. Everything was calculated. I was telling her. Madonna. So thank you, sister. Madonna. Were you selling the hats? Who was selling the hats? Me. How many did you sell? She's going to have it. I was selling, she's going to have it t-shirts in front of the motherfucking theater. (laughs) (laughs) True. How many hats you sell? Do you remember? Uh, We sold a ton. And then- Like a million? Nah, not a million. But people doing bootleg stuff, so. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. But it wasn't a phenomenon, though. Do you feel- And then then the end credits- of Malcolm X, we show various people who, who gave us money to finish the film. So you see there's a shot of Michael and uh, Magic wearing a... I remember. An X hat. When that happened, it was game over. Oh, yeah. That that was... Uh, How much Did does... I tell you that story? No, please do. Well, we never got the correct budget, the appropriate budget for Malcolm X. Seriously? Yep, but we everybody knew that. I knew it. Warren Brothers knew it. The Bond Company knew it. So th- we always knew that doomsday would, doomsday would arrive, that day of reckoning where we were out of money. So we had planned the schedule. We would start in September, break for the holidays, and finish in South Africa and Egypt. And so... Once we came to that break, uh, we were told that uh, we have to cut the budget. They want us to shoot 
on the Jersey Shore instead of instead of Egypt. Yes. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and uh, it was it was a very it was a rough time. Yeah, because the those two locations don't look alike. And and then another thing. The first time we showed Malcolm X to Bob Daly and Terry Summer, who ran the studio, was the day, I swear to God is the truth, was the day on the Rodney King verdict. Oh, no. The same day. And that cut was four hours. <laughs> but to their credit, Bob Daly and Terry Simmel stayed throughout the whole four-hour screening while L.A. was up in flames. Jesus. So their assistants are coming in every hour, every half an hour with, like, notes and stuff. And they would, we need to get a helicopter. I mean, it was like, I don't, they were talking here and saying, you need a helicopter? I mean, it was, L.A. was in flames. And to that credit, I know I'm repeating myself. I got to give them love. The, the, the co-presidents of Warner Brothers, Bob Daly and Terry Simmel, stayed throughout the four-hour cut. Jeez. So, they say Spike. So, later on, we we knew no way in the world do we expect it to be four hours. We just want to see what it looks like. So, then we had a three-hour cut. And they said, Spike, we cannot release a three-hour cut. The reason why studios don't like the longer lengths is because that means there's one less screening right. at the theater. It's you have to do seven o'clock. So at the same time I'm doing Mount we're doing Malcolm X. Warren was also JFK. That and was like three hours. You kill my story here. <laughs> <laughs> my brother, slow down. You can't we get so so I know they're getting ready to release JFK. So I say, I say, how long is JFK? It says like two hours. But they don't know I know Oliver Stone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I call Oliver. Oliver, how long is JFK? Spike is three hours. Don't tell him that. <laughs> See, directors, you know, we're going to look out for each other. <laughs> so they didn't know that I knew Oliver. And JFK was three hours. I said, all right, fuck it. We're keeping it three hours. So I was not going to cave... Warner Bros. let the Bond Company take over the movie, and the Bond Company promptly fired everybody. All the people, editors, everybody fired. And uh, we couldn't work. And I, I got paid $1 million for, for Malcolm X, and I put that entire salary into the movie. Jesus. So I, I didn't have any more money yeah. to put in the film anymore. So, doing this film, in, in pre-production of the film, one of the most important books I ever read was the autobiography of Malcolm X was told to Alex Haley in junior high school. And had, had to re, re-study Malcolm. And the thing that kept coming to my mind was self-determination, self-reliance. Self-determination, self-reliance. I said, damn, that's it. I knew I, I could call up prominent African-Americans that had money. I had, I mean, not through the assistant. Oh, I had their phone number. I call up, call them up. But the tricky thing is this. I was asked, I really, I was had my Yankee hat 
hand out begging. The trick of the, being that this the money I was asking for could not be an investment. It could not be a tax write-off. This just had to be a gift. So I made my list. First person I called was Bill Cosby. He said, how much you need? I told him. He said, Spike, I'll send you. Put it in the mail. I said, no, no, no. So I got in the subway, <laughs> ran to Bill Cosby's brownstone, rang the bell, handed me the check. I didn't even come inside because I had to get to the bank before he might change his mind. Right. <laughs> Boom. So uh, Tracy Chapman. Tracy Chapman? Tracy Chapman. Wow. Janet Jackson. Magic was involved, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> OMG! My brother, let me tell the motherfucking story! <laughs> You're killing it! I didn't know you were going in order. Yes! All right. Miss Winfrey. <laughs> There's a woman named Peggy Cooper Cape, who's just philanthropist who just passed. Oprah had, was she Oprah at that point? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess she was. Okay. Prince. Prince. So, Janet. And it came down to uh, the last two on the list, Magic and Michael. Now, every time I'm making the next call, every time I make the next call, I'm asking for money. So, I only had two more people on my list. So, I called Magic. Spike, what do you need? Boom. So, the last call is Michael Jordan. The GOAT. Born in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> anyway, I always say that. So I know Michael's very competitive. Michael doesn't want to lose motherfucking tiddlywinks. So I just happened to let slip how much Magic wrote on this check. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. Michael said, Magic gave how much? <laughs> So, Michael sealed it. I was able to hire back my uh, production team and post post production team. And a Michael, uh, excuse me, um, on Malcolm's birthday, May nineteenth, we had a press conference at the Schomburg Library in Harlem, one hundred thirty fifth Street in Lenox, where we announced that these prominent African Americans had written checks so we could finish the film we way we wanted and what. So we could finish my vision the way he wanted to make it. And the next day, Warner Brothers started to fund the film again. My mother's grave, true story. True story. So every time I see anybody, I give them, I saw, where did I see magic? At, at Sam Jackson's birthday party. I mean, that was a big birthday party. They're buddies. I know. I gave, I gave Magic sitting there with Cookie, lovely wife. I gave Magic a big hug. What's up, Spike? Why are you hugging me? I said, yo, you wrote that check for Malcolm X. That was it. You know, so all those prominent, Tracy Chapman, Janet Jackson, I mean, you know, they wrote that check. And that's, and that's because I, I cannot cave in. Couldn't do it. And, and and here's the thing. Malcolm X evolved as a person. A young child, 
Detroit Red. We needed that time to see the transformations he was going as a human being. You can't do that shit in two hours. I wasn't just like, well, I have to do that to be David Lean, make a three-hour motherfucking movie like Lawrence Arabia, Doc Chivago, Bridge in the motherfucking choir. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, motherfucking bridge in River Kwai. <laughs> Got my motherfuckers out of place. <laughs> <laughs> but we needed a time to tell a story. Yeah. It was not an ego trip. We that that the performance that Denzel, which is one of the greatest performers, I think, caught in the cinema. It's not gonna be the same thing in that film as two hours. You needed three hours. For three hours, you need money. To do a three-hour movie. How much... I mean, you catch Denzel at the perfect point. I always feel like there has to be a little bit of luck involved when a movie stands the test of time. Because I was thinking about that Godfather and Godfather 2 run. Mm -hmm. And you think about... People like Godfather 2 better. I think it's... I I love Godfather more, but I think Godfather 2 is a better movie. I mean, they're both great movies. Yeah, they're both great. But the amount of luck that they had to get Pacino and James Caan and Duvall and then catch Brando at the right point in his yeah, career. Yeah, but Paramount didn't even want Brando. Right. So but, Denzel you catch right as he's ascending, but he's not Denzel yet. Well, it started with Mo Better. Yeah. And then he won. And he had glory. Glory. I knew he was because he was but, on St. Let, let me give you a quote. Famous quote. Branch Rickey. Luck is a residue of design. Mm. So if you're busting your ass, you're you have a better chance of the favors of luck being bestowed upon you. Right. But if you ain't doing shit and you just lean on your ass, you're not gonna get lucky. <laughs> so I mean it's the same way you just said it, but I think right. that I mean I'm very I've always remember that that branch Ricky quote, but people don't know Branch Ricky signed Jackie Robinson. First to the Montreal Royals, then with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And yesterday was Jackie's 100th birthday. I remember. It was weird. I know you know, but just for the audience. Yeah, yeah, I got you. And let's let's not talk about what they tell that famous story. Jackie Robinson working out for the Red Sox. Oh, come on. Come on. It was 70 years ago. (laughs) Hey, did they not not change the Yorkie way the other day? Did Did they not change the name? Same thing. Well, you could say from a karma standpoint that that might have helped explain why the Red Sox had so much pain and torment over the decades. Oh, yeah. Look. Because I am a karma guy. I believe in karma. I, and I, I do wonder if that... Let's shake hands. All right. God don't like ugly. And you just do some best that follows you. Karma, whatever you want to call it. Hey, you, when, you had, when you had Wesley Snipes a year before, right. Wesley's in this great run of his career. He's just all these hits, know, all these great I movies for question, five years. I can answer the question. No, but who's who is Wesley, Wesley now? Wesley always wanted to be an action hero guy. He wanted to be Passenger Fifty Seven guy. Schwarzenegger, Stallone. That's who he always wanted to be. And these films were a route for him to get to that position. But that's what he wanted to do. And look, as I said before, I want people to do what you want to do. Yeah. Be happy. And that's what you want to do? He, I want him to play Ray Raheem. Can you turn that down? Turn it down. Really? I want a fish burn to play Raheem. Oof. 
I wanted Robert De Niro to, to play Sal. Get out of here. I lied to you not. You asked Robert De Niro to play Sal. He didn't want to do it. God. But. What a great what if that is. No, no, no. I disagree. I think the thing that makes, which I'm going to touch on something. When you said, you talked earlier about the ensemble piece, all these different characters. You think he overpowers it? It's not an ensemble movie anymore. Yeah, it's a De Niro movie. It's, a, right. it's Robert De Niro film. And that's why. It's pretty, still a pretty interesting movie. What? <laughs> it's pretty interesting to have De Niro in, in the. He didn't want to do it. And again, if acting, you know, just like we, we brought Persingas. I like Why have a guy around. on your team who doesn't want to be there? Why you have an actor in a movie who doesn't want to do it? Right. What's And back in the day, those actors had contracted studios. So you didn't have a choice unless you're super, super. You had to do what Louis B. Mayer and all them other guys said you had to do. What's that class you had, late 80s? Do you feel like you were in a class? Oh, yeah. I mean, like it, a direct class. Because Soderbergh I, I, Soderberg, I did a podcast with on Monday, mm. and he mentioned how you guys, oh, yeah. you both had movies 89. And he was like, man, that was kind of, we bonded over a lot of stuff I mean, that year. I love Steven. And here's the thing though people thought that because of Sex Lies and Videotape and Do the Right Thing and Can. And and sex line videotape one. What do you call it? The the, the, the palm, palm door. Yeah, yeah. My beef was never with him. Yeah. It was with Vin Vendors, who was the president of the jury. But me and Steve, people thought that now nah, we were always good. We were just young filmmakers, independent filmmakers. Cool. And our guy, our hero was Jim Jarmish. Yeah. Because Jim Jarmish is ahead of me in NYU film school. So my class of 82 was my great cinematographer who shot all my stuff in film school and my early films, Ernest Dickerson oh, legend. and Ang Lee. Yeah. We were all in the same class. Ang Lee? Yes. He can speak a word of English then. Ang Lee, Ernest Dickerson, Spike Lee were all NYU graduate film school class of 1982. Jesus. Same class. Who else is in your... When you think about you and Soderbergh, like those guys coming up late eighties, before they had John Sales, yep, uh, Michael Moore with his documentary. I know I'm missing some people, but it was a great time because independent cinema was thriving. Yeah, and uh, did at what point did you become kind of the dean of black filmmakers? At what point in your career did people? Well, I don't, I don't know. I'm, look, I'm not getting my, myself that position. Well, what, but, I, but here's the thing, though. You had early on. I'm here because of pioneers like Oscar Michaud. Then you had later on Gordon Parks, Melville Van Peebles, Ozzie Davis. There's uh, a director who gets overlooked a lot. His name is Michael Schultz. He directed a lot of those major, major hit films of, of Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor was the oh, biggest. Yeah. Yeah. Star in Hollywood. And so then Robert Townsend really came out the same time. She's a habit, Hollywood Shuffle. Yeah. Then Singleton with Boys in the Hood. But he saw your movie and didn't yeah. he tell you, like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. do what you're doing? I was standing outside. I forgot the theater. Selling T-shirts, hand out buttons. And 
this skinny guy with glasses comes to me and says, my name is John Singleton, and uh, I'm going to be a filmmaker just like you. True story. True story. That was a good man. You, you got, we got we to, this, this is the first time. We've never done this before. We got to make trying, this. I was trying to get you on for years. Are you talking I get along with anybody who loves basketball. <laughs> Plus we had the I think it's my fault. I had to get through this Boston, New York thing, but I guess over it. We had the Ralph Wiley connection. Yes. Look, my my apologies. No, we look, I admire what you do. Thank you. You know what you're talking about. A lot of these people, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Just talking. I had one more question because you probably have to go. Yeah. Which is that I was interested in. Twenty mm-hmm. fifth hour. Ooh, I love that film. Didn't get nominated. And when you look at the list of people that, that films that got nominated, it's a disgrace. Um, did you know as you're filming that 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 was going to be like the first post 9 11 movie? Because yes. that's become no, no, part we, of the narrative. Oh, we knew it. it. But here's the thing. Was that though. the biggest reason you wanted to do it? Yes, I'm a New Yorker. But here's a secret sauce David Benioff, that was a novel. I know. And the novel was written pre 9 11. So it's my deal to make this story. I told David, David, this has to be post 9-11. Novel was written before. And Edward Dort and I have been wanting to work together for a minute. And we both got these scripts from, from our two separate agents at the same time. Yeah. And now and then you think about the cast. Edward Norton, the late great Phyllis Seymour Hoffman. People sleep on Barry Pepper. Barry Pepper. He had a nice little run. He was good in 61. No, he's a very, I like 61. Oh, he's a great athlete. Yeah. Hockey. He could, he, he's an athlete because we had every movie we had softball teams he could play. Rosario. Yeah. Brian Cox. Tony Siragusa. Yeah. His first. He's a Russian mobster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing a piece. I was, I was doing that, that film, Jim Brown All-American. In that year, the Ravens were in the Super Bowl. Yeah, Ray Lewis. So Coach Les, Jim wants to have Spike his crew, so they let us. And then I got tight with Tony Siragusa, and I said I had him come and read, and he got the part. That movie holds up. Oh yeah, I think it's it's turned into what Terrence, I think one of the most important movies of that t- decade. Also, Terrence Blanchard's score. Yeah, Terrence, my longtime composer. And Black Clampson's first nomination. Barry Brown, my longtime editor, cut Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, Inside Man. This is his first time nomination. Adam's, I mean, Adam's young, but his first nom- Adam Driver's first nomination. So, so when people saw me jumping up and down that video that went out, yeah, that was just for me. That was for Terrence, and, and because I know how this is my team, yeah, and these guys. Bust their ass, and 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 they people know me, but they. I mean, Terrence is a great musician, so see him, you know, out. But Barry, you know, these guys have never. They are masking their crap, and they're not doing it to get nominations. But at the same time, any human being wants to be acknowledged for the work they do. I had a really, I had a weird experience seeing it. Because I had John David Washington on the podcast the next day. It was great. Yeah? And so I went see, to see- Hour? Or Black Clansman? No, Clans. no. Black Clansman. Okay. Um, the, 
the night before I had to go to like an 11 o'clock screening at the Grove. And it was me and like, I don't know, 10 people, uh-huh. including four girls who I think thought it was a comedy. Whoa. Which seems to be a were recurring theme were, with this. Were they on their phone the whole time? No, they were they, probably, but they're laughing, really laughing at some stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm positive this isn't a comedy, but right. it's. I mean, it has funny moments, but well, I think that the, was, the humor, the laughter comes from the absurdity of the premise. Black man infiltrates Ku Klux Klan. Right. Uh, but do you? How much do you think is like nervous laughter? I don't know. It was it was weird? Yeah, there is. There is. Uh, I almost told them to leave. You should have. I was like, can you guys leave? <laughs> I really enjoyed this movie. Can you go? But uh, there are certain things where I acknowledge that particularly white audiences don't know if they should laugh yeah. or not. There's an uneasiness to it that yeah. I thought was fascinating. I w- almost wish I had seen it in a full theater. Well, to you get... should have seen Bamboozle with a white audience. They the... <laughs> <laughs> in fact, we have a scene where, where the performance going on and we have... The white audience members looking through their life will, will say, if they laugh, I'm laughing. <laughs> what are you most proud of that movie? Bamboozle. Looking back now that Bamboozle? it's... No, no, Black Klansman. Oh. Now that it's been it's been out for six months, what is this thing you're most proud of? We, I think this is... My answer will be the, could be the end of the show. You're great. That's why I asked. Okay. Yeah. Black Klansman will be in the right side of history. I like that. That's it. Spike Lee, I'm glad we finally did Let's this. Let's do it again soon. I'm sorry the Red Sox uh, took the <laughs> Yankees mantra as the dominant American League team of this century. You had last century, at least. Look. You had the 20th I century. was great. The Yankees, excuse me. Now it's the, the Red Sox century. a better team last year. I can't debate uh, that. Whole century, I would say. Listen, I'm you only had, going, you I'm only going one year back. <laughs> you had last century. We got this century. It's fine. You had a lot of titles. Your, your manager. Our manager is amazing. He is. First Puerto Rican manager. You know, so look, we got work to do. What are you going to do about your reliever? We're fine. We have an awesome team. We'll get a closer in June. We're going to win every game by seven <laughs> runs and we'll get a closer in June. We're fine. We're fine. You worry about your own team. You should be getting Bryce Harper right now. They're not paying him that money. Why'd they build that terrible stadium? That thing's awful. Thing's empty half the time. That's because those, that's, what you're talking about, sir, is corporations taking over sports. They ruined Yankee Stadium. That's not the only one. We kept our integrity, integrity well, look, and kept I lo- Fenway I lo- Park. Look, we kept Fenway. Chicago I love, kept Wrigley. I love Fenway. I love Wrigley Field. But what's up with the TD Garden? And that, I mean, it's, oh, oh, well, now it's you're, terrible. Now you're fumbling the bumble. Yeah, <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. Corporate America. I mean, except for playoff games, that center field camera looking at, at the plate, there's nobody behind home plate. It's embarrassing. They should have seat, seat fillers like the Oscars. It would seem so much better. Get somebody 50 high school kids and bring them in there. Uh, Spike Lee, I'm glad we finally did this. Uh, this is a pleasure. Do it again. 